Well, good evening. It's time for our Wednesday night Bible study. <clears throat> we're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week. You know, uh, last week we were in John 14. We're going to get back into that again tonight. Before we get started, I remind everybody to be sure you're praying and lift up each other. Remember our church family. Uh, remember the Freeman family. Lift them up in prayers as, as they've suffered a loss this weekend. And, this week, uh, weekend this week, and uh, so uh, remembering them. Tonight, as we get into our Bible study, I want to stay in, in chapter 14, it's like I said, of John, as uh, we'll be. First, we, we covered the first nine verses uh, last week. It was one of my favorite sections of scripture were in my father's house or many mansions. We talked about that, and then we got down a little further, and we're where Philip goes and asks that Lord show us the Father and it's sufficient because Jesus just had told him that he was, you know, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to me unto the Father, but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father. And also from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. And then Philip asking in verse 8, Lord, uh, Lord, show us the Father and it shall suffice us. You got to remember what's kind of happened. As I, I told you last week, I'll give you a refresher right quick. In chapter 13, Jesus and the disciples have been doing the Lord's Supper and, and he had washed their feet and, and humbled himself and to, to teach them about servant leadership. Because one of the things they were having an issue with was who was going to be the greatest. So as he, he humbled them and he, he washed their feet and he, he, he predicted that Peter was going to betray them. He told them, you know, basically everything that was going to happen. They were upset. So he's comforted them during this verse. And again, it's Philip. And, you know, everybody thinks, oh, doubting Philip or not really more doubting Thomas. But Philip says this, show us the Father. There's so many of us are the same way as him. And tonight we're going to. We're going to get into verses 9 through 11. Like I said, I love chapter 14 because of the promises and the things that are in there. And he starts off by saying in verse 9, Jesus says unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and, and yet have thou not known me, Philip? He has shown, he has seen me, has seen the Father, and how sayest thou, show us the Father? And and he says, Believest thou not that I am the Father, and the Father in me, and the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. So here we got, he's explaining his unity and his dependence upon the Father and and, and how close they were. And I think sometimes we don't really think about, a lot of people have this idea of God the Father, he sits on the throne and Jesus is his son. And some people try to think about how they, they try to compare Jesus and Satan as being equal and Jesus is not because Jesus is God and God is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Just three different views of one person, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Understand the trend, he's hard. He's trying to give him a, a, a brief glimpse of it. He tells him, so how long have I been with you that you've not known me? So it's it's like he's asking him, Philip, you know, you've been with me these three years. You've seen everything I've done. How come you don't know and understand who I am? You know, you've been close to me. And, you know, this is the same and it's the truth for many of us today that we have trouble grasping who Jesus is and really in our lives. You know, he, he says, you know, he has seen me, has seen the Father. It's a gentle rebuke that 
reminds Philip of what Jesus had often said, that to know him was to know God the Father, to see the love of Jesus was to see the love of the Father, and seeing Jesus in action was seeing the Father in action. Morris said this, he says, it's difficult to interpret without seeing the Father and Son as in some sense is one. These words which were which no mere man has the right to use. And, and you know, that was one of the things they tried to get Jesus on by blasphemy, saying that he wasn't God. They just saw him as a man. Uh, it was funny how they, they all wanted to see miracles and he showed them miracles, but you know, they, they demanded them. And, and in a way, this is kind of what Philip does. He said, God, show us the Father. You know, Jesus, show us the Father. How many times you been in in church and and you you're like you know okay uh, Lord I, I know the sermon's good you're speaking to me but I need a sign I, I remember one church we went to they used to have ceiling fans up in the ceiling and and all the ceiling fans worked but the two that were closest to the the stage they just never never came on I don't know if they never wired them up or what but they didn't work. And I, I remember many people tell me they'd pray and they're like, Lord, just move that fan. If you move that fan, I know that you're here and seeing everything he was doing. But sometimes we do the same thing as Philip. You know, no material image basically is adequate to depict God. And, and we have to, to remember that Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. The only person can give knowledge of him since he personally knew him. You know, uh, you you can't give knowledge of somebody you don't know. And Tenney said this. He says, no material image or likeness adequately depicts God. Only a person can give knowledge of him since personally cannot be represented by an impersonal object. Now, this this forget forever finishes the idea the Hebrew scripture presented a cruel God and Jesus shows us a, na- a nicer God because a lot of people look at the Old Testament and say, well, it's not the same God as the God of the New Testament. Yes, it was. And, and Jesus shows us the love and capacity and mercy that was and is God the Father. Uh, in Exodus, let me, let me look these verses up right quick. Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 9. Let me share this. Right quick with you, it's an awesome set of verses. My um, page is sticking together a little bit right here, but we'll get to it. Verses 5 through 9, it says, The Lord descended unto the clouds and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abundance in God, goodness and truth keeping the mercy for thousands and giving iniquity and transgression and sin that they by no means clear the guilty visiting iniquity upon the children, upon the children's children and the third generation. And and Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped and said, if I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us from thy, from thine inheritance. You, you think about how God is, is loving and you read that, you say, well, that sounds kind of cruel, but God showed his love that he, no matter what the children of Israel did, he would punish them as a father or, or a parent who loves their children would do, but he stayed there and he was always with them and he was always trying to steer them in the path of righteousness. 
you know, and, and we don't realize what's true love. Is true love somebody who never tells you right for wrong, or is love true love somebody who tries to make you better? And that's what God did with the children of Israel. And that's what Jesus does with us sometimes. And, and it's an awesome thing when you think about it. You know, he, Jesus said, as he goes on, basically, he, he says, he says, you know, the words I speak of you, I don't speak under my own authority. He's basically saying the words I speak are of the Father. Jesus repeated something to emphasize in, God, in the Gospel of John that Jesus lived and spoke in constant dependence upon God the Father and did nothing outside his authority or guidance. He told him that in John 5, 19 and in John 8, 28. He says, I, I do what the Father tells me to do, what the Spirit leads me to do. Now, he goes in verse 11. <clears throat> he, he says, believe in me that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. You know, Jesus presented two solid foundations for our trust in him and for their trust. He said we can simply be, believe in Jesus because of his person and his words. Or we can believe in him for the works that he did. You think, Philip had the ability to see the healings. He had the, the, He was there at the feeding of the 5,000, at the feeding of the 4,000. He was there when Jesus walked on the water. He was there when Jesus calmed the seas. He saw all these things. You know, how could he deny that Jesus was 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 not God, that he was more than just a man. You think about in your own life, what has God done? You know, I, I believe God does miracles all around us. There's things that, that you cannot explain other than to say God had to be in it. I've seen people who have been sick and uh, at the point of death who very quickly overcame that sickness and, and the doctors are astounded that they can't understand it but some of them do because they say hey it had to be god so we see that he does things and so you can either believe the word of god or you can see the works that he does all around us you know the bible tells us that his ferment speaks for itself creation speaks for god itself but we should believe because of not only that but what the holy spirit does in our life you know he he goes on. He, he says the he says here that he says that the the Father who dwells in me does the work. So we're not only one in nature, but also one in operation. Clark said. He said the works which I have done bear witness to the infinite perfection of my nature. You know what God was saying here is you know such miracles he's wrought could only been come from an unlimited power. That's kind of what he was telling Thomas here. So we we see he's showing him the truth there. You know, when he says he calls Paul Philip to believe on him and the others to believe on him, because notice he he kind of changes the wording there. Uh, it, it, it's a pluralistic word that's used here in in the the original Arabic and in, in the original Greek that this was written in. Uh, he's not saying Peter or not Peter Philip, you believe, but everyone believe in him, and so he he goes into that. Now, there were three assurances he gives for the, for the troubled disciples. And let's look at them right quick. We're going to see these in verses 12 through 14. So listen to what he says. He starts out, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that doeth believe on me, the works that I shall do, he do also. 
Greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall find in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. So here's three wonderful promises that he gives these disciples. You know, he's fixing to leave. He's tried to tell them that. But he's basically said, my work here is going to continue. He starts off with the the verily, verily, or some translations will have it most assuredly. You know, whenever he repeats something, he's trying to get their attention. And the first assurance is that he says, the the work is, is, he didn't say the work is over. We all got fired. He said, the, the, the work shall continue. He said, you're going to continue this work. He says, you believe in me, the works I do shall he also do. So it, it's, you know, that, that you're going to continue to do the things that I'm doing. Now, you know, as he told the disciples that, and you think of the great things that they did. Uh, I was listening to Robbie Zacharias and, and one of his heroes of disciples is Thomas because Thomas came to India to share the gospel and and these men gave their life to share the gospel with people and they 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 healed people they they reached more than Jesus did in his walk you know he touched a lot of lives but these disciples spread the gospel everywhere so he he said you're going to continue to do these things he spoke of the miracles. And now Jesus described the benefits of blessing that, that comes to one who believes. And you think today how this is still going on, uh, that the, we spread the gospel and you see lives changed. You, you ever shared the gospel with somebody and you see how they went from just one personality to somebody totally different? Maybe you look at your own life and see how before you got saved, you were one way, but God once you heard the gospel, you accepted Christ as your Savior, you're a totally different person. So what a miracle that is. You know, he, he says, he says, you know, the works I'll do. You know, and, and I keep thinking about how wonderful it is. Bruce said this. He said, the greater works of which he now spoke to them would st- still be on his own works, accomplished no longer by his visible presence among them, but by his spirit within them. Because we can't do nothing without Christ. Without Christ, uh, uh, I, I, I can't preach. Uh, you know, I, I can't do much of nothing really without Him. I think about that. Uh, you know, when God called me to preach, He changed me. He equipped me. I didn't like people. Couldn't speak. Didn't like standing up in front of people. And sometimes, boy, He reminds me of that. And, and the only way I can do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. When it's Steve, it's it's horrible. And, you know, when, I, when I'm when i not letting God talk, I sound horrible. And I'm like, what did I say? So, you know, God does a lot of things. Now, he promised them something more. He goes, he says, greater works than these will he do. So Jesus didn't mean that they'd be more sensational. sensational. You know, oh, hey, I fed five. You're going to feed 50. But they were in greater magnitude. He, he would leave behind the victorious working family of followers followers who had spread his his kingdom to more people in places that Jesus never got to. You, you realize that Jesus never left the Holy Land and these disciples would go out and talk about a man that people didn't see and people would follow him. And you know what an awesome thing that is. Now 
you, you, you think he, so he's promised that you're going to do greater works. You're going to do, you're going to believe in me. You're going to do these works. You're going to do greater works than, than one I, I give you. And, and so he, he, he goes on a little further in the, the, let me back up just a second before I get too far in one of my, my mind thought here. And let's go back as he talks about the works. The word works doesn't actually, uh, appear in the original Greek uh, basically uh, there is no word at that point so our best translation would be the you would do greater things because if you look in verse 13 or verse 12 in my Bible the words italicized and a lot of times when that was they added a word for clarification so you'd understand it so he said that you do greater things and Jesus means that, you know, what he means is if we read the book of Acts, we see the great things that happen. So we, we understand the greater works. Now, he says, because I go to the Father, Jesus was soon explained he was going to explain that heaven, and he's going to tell him he's going to leave the Holy Spirit to him. We're going to get into that in just a second. But I want to get that last promise in verse 14. Because first, the first promise, he says, if you believe in me, you know, the works are going to continue. That's the first promise. The second promise is, is they're not only going to continue, but they're going to be greater than anything you've ever seen. Now, the third promise that he gives them is in verse 14, where he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So, uh, you know, Jesus further explains that these great words, that they'd only be possible for his followers. It, it would be possible because Jesus would do his work through his prayerful people, through his people who fought, loved him. You know, who asked and acted in his name. You know, it's not a magical, magical incantation, basically. And this is where a lot of people really take this verse out of context. Uh, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. The, I think the problem is a lot of people say, well, if I ask for a billion dollars, he's going to do it. If I ask for wealth, he's going to do it. It's got to be his will. Are you, are you asking things to further the kingdom? Because if you take the context what he said, he said, you're going to do these works that I've done. You're going to further the kingdom because that's what Christ was here for. So if you ask, what are you asking for? Are they selfish things? God says he's going to supply all your needs, not your wants. And so many times we forget that. And so these people who, who talk about name it, claim it, and you get it. You know, God's a magic genie. You ask, you know, they're taking a lot of it out of context because you've got to do what God's will is. And that's the biggest thing there. So he's made a promise. He says, basically, he says, boys, when you are doing these wonderful works, when you're doing these great things, if you ask it in my name, it'll be done. Let me ask you a question. You got somebody that, that, that you love that you want to see come to Jesus? Have you prayed in the name of Jesus that they get saved? You know, sometimes you got to ask that God, I can't reach them. So in, in Jesus' name, will you send somebody else that maybe they'll listen to? Now remember, it's God's got to be God's will, and it's going to be in God's time. He tells us in the Psalms, he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not yours. So remember that. It's in his name. So he, he tells them that. Now we're going to look at the next part. And here's the one part as a Christian we ought to draw comfort from because he gave them a promise. Listen to verses 15 through 17. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, 
neither knoweth him, because you know, you know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. So, so he, he makes them a promise, he says, but he gives them a, a, a few little things he's got to do. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So you think, what commandments was they really required to keep? Now, if we go back to chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, you know, Jesus washed their feet. Some people say, oh, we're supposed to wash each other's feet. No, I want you to look at what Christ showed through that foot washing. He demonstrated his love to his disciples. You know, he, he's basically saying, when you show love, that's what you're supposed to do. As I've showed you, you show others. Christ was a servant leader. And that's how we're supposed to be. Do we show God's love? Do we show what he really wants us to do? I want you to picture in your mind the night that the, the foot washing happens. The disciples are all gathered around. They're bickering. There had been an argument, basically, because who's going to be the greatest? James and John, their mom went and, and asked Jesus, could they sit on the right hand and left hand? And, and so, you know, they're... There was arguing who's going to be the greatest, and, and oh, and I, I can just hear it. And all of a sudden, as they're they're bickering back and forth, and they're thinking about only that, they're getting mad at one another. Jesus stands, and he, he takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist. And he takes that water and he goes one by one, washing their feet. That was a master and a teacher did not do that. A servant did. The lowliest of persons did. To touch another person's feet was very humbling because you have to think, they wore sandals. They walked around in dirt all day long. Feet were nasty. And he washes them carefully. So he shows them, you're supposed to display the love that I'm doing. John 13, 34. Listen to what he says. He says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Then he tells them why. He says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another. So he says, If you keep my commandments, I'll pray for God and send you com the Comforter. I'll send you some help. So, you know, keeping commandments God doesn't speak of our personal morality. It basically shows our love for Him. You know, if you only act like a Christian on Sundays, do you really, is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Is He really your Savior? It ought to be part of your personality. By nature, majority of us are hateful. By nature, majority of us are vengeful. But when you become a child of God, your heart changes. You should love people more, care for people more. I, I've listened and people talked about Christians throughout the ages during different pandemics and things, like when the plague came and people basically fled the cities they ran to the country trying to get away from this horrible disease that was killing people. They didn't understand it. But history shows us that the Christians stayed behind. Why? To, to minister to those that were sick. 
many of them giving their lives during the pandemics, during the things that were happening. We should love others. There, uh, uh, I listened to the story of one man who gave his house to be a hospital during the Black Plague. What do you do for Lord? How do you show that commandment? Some people think that if they love Jesus, you got to enter a co- covenant or retire to a cell. You know, dress them, dress a little different, shave your head or something like that. You know, get rid of all your possessions, put on sackcloth, and things such as that. You know, the Savior didn't say do that. He just said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said, I'll pray to the Father and he'll give you another helper, or as it says here, comforter. And Jesus basically saying, when I'm fixing to leave, guys, I'm not going to leave you alone. Bible tells us Jesus never leaves us nor forsakes us. Sometimes we leave him, but he never leaves us. You know, my own personal testimony is one of a a young man who thought he knew better than God and ran from him. But thank God he came after me. I praise the Savior that he did. You know what's really bad? It's not just once I've done that. As I look at my life and my testimony, it's been many times. I leave him, but he's never left me. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I've got you in my right hand. No man can pluck you out. And I've learned the meaning of that no man. That no man is me. He always loves me. He's the the prodigal son's father who who stands and waits and watches. And you make the first move back, he's right there. There's been times I thought he wasn't there and I can look back like the the poem about the the footprints in the sand and I can see him carrying me. So during this time, let me tell you, verse 18 says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. It's so true. He's always there for us. The King James Version translates the word comforter as parkilios. And that word parkilios has the idea of someone called to help someone, like an advisor or a, a legal defender, a mediator. You know, uh, we use that word for comfort, too. So, what a what a great word he says. I'm going to mediate for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to oversee you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to take. I'm going to be there when the accuser accuses you. I'm going to help you. Trench said this, he said, the, the Lord here calls the Holy Spirit another comforter. Alion Parkithioth, I can't even halfway pronounce it. 
he implies that he himself claimed to be also the comforter. So he's the comforter that's come. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, if we look back and we, we realize that the Holy Spirit was with these guys already, he said, I'm not going to leave you guys. You might think I do, but I'm not. Listen when he goes on a little further and says, He says, Yet a little while when the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, and you shall also you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that keepeth my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I love him and will manifest myself to him. So as Jesus promises here that he's never going to leave them, and he's going to make himself known to them. They, they were given such a great blessing. You know, the Bible tells us that during the, when Jesus was arrested, they fled, they hid. But Christ promised he would always be there for them. He, he said he would return for them, and he did. Could you imagine the day he showed up? Can you imagine Resurrection Sunday, that day he, he came back? I'm going to stop here. We're going to pray and ask you to remember the, the church. Keep praying. You know, the, the thing came out this week and uh, told basically we got a, another couple of weeks before we get a chance to maybe meet together again and worship one with another. Until that time, we're going to continue to pray that God just gets rid of this virus and, and continues to open people's eyes up. I pray the church listens talked with a dear friend this week he was said he believes that maybe this will will spur on a, a revival as people hunger for God's word so let's pray for that let's pray for one another join me in prayer and let's lift the church up dear heavenly father lords we come to you tonight I thank you for the blessings of life father I pray that you bless the church lord I pray for those that hunger for your word and continue to study your word lord is they understand that the comforter is not left. Lord, we might not be able to worship in the same building, but we know you're here in the midst of us. You tell us where two or more are gathered in your name, you'll be there. And Father, sometimes I have to be reminded that there's always two or more because there's me and the Holy Spirit. I'm gathered in your name with the Spirit. So Father, I pray that you just fill us with your Spirit. Give us knowledge. Protect the church, Heavenly Father. Be with those that are sick. Father, for those that lost loved ones, I pray you comfort them as Lord. Our words can only do so much, and during this time it's hard because you can't be surrounded by people, so I pray for them. Lord, I pray for the sick of the church. I ask you to be with each one of them. Father, I pray for those that are in need. We have some families in our church that are in need tonight. Lord, they need a spiritual help, so I pray for them that you help them during this time of 
uh, of trials and tribulations that they're going through. And Lord, I pray for those who are out of work. I ask you to bless them. Tonight, dear Heavenly Father, be with us. Thank you again for the time we get to come together. Lord, I pray that you come back quickly. But until that time, Father, be with us and help us to know what you would have us to do. So thank you for being with us tonight. Amen. And I pray that you have a great blessed week until we can be together again and we can worship one with another and we can just enjoy the fellowship of being together. You have a blessed and wonderful week.